I don't know how you're built, but the way I'm built, I always want to know the backstory. You know what I'm saying? I see a piece of property, and it's a, a unique piece of property, and I want to know who lived there and who built it. I want to know the backstory of that. You know, um, there are many properties around Lake Placid that are that way, that I just, I, I kind of wish I knew the backstory of what was going on there. As you travel through all the little communities in our area, the backstories that go along with the Adirondacks are incredible. The things that I keep on finding out that I'm just kind of blown away by um, absolutely blow me away. I'll give you an example. I never realized that the word vacation was coined here. Did you know that? It was because people were vacating the city and coming up. There's been a lot of vacation this year, hasn't there, um, here in the Adirondacks. I, I didn't know that. I, I had the privilege of traveling to most of the national parks west of the Mississippi one or two, maybe three times. And as I looked at the architecture in each one of them, I thought it was amazing. But it all started here. Those big log structures, that kind of Japanese-American kind of look that we call the Adirondack style, you see it all the way to the West Coast. But it all started here with one man named Durant. When I look at Scripture, one of the things that's interesting about Scripture is that sometimes there's a backstory to the scripture too you know there's more information that's that's one of my joys as your pastor is mining that information that brings more life to the words that makes the word of god more meaningful that helps you see the bigger picture of what god was doing because there's usually a backstory and this is true of the king's playlist in the King's Playlist, there are many different psalms, but every one of those psalms has a backstory in the same way many of you know the backstory to It Is Well With My Soul or to Silent Night or to some of these different songs that we sing in our faith, even some of the more the, the ones that we sing today. We, we end up knowing the backstory a little bit, and in knowing the backstory, all of a sudden the experience is more meaningful. The song that we're going to study today is the singer's song, the sinner's song in Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is a well-known psalm. We, uh, we, we quote it. There are many songs. We're going to sing a song a little later in the service by uh, uh, an, uh, an artist that is no longer with us named Keith Green that wrote a lot of it, just incredible music. Um, and has a great backstory himself. But Psalm 51 is one that we know because it's one that, that helps us understand something in our life that's really important, and that is this idea of confession. You see, the backstory of Psalm 51 can actually be found in 2 Samuel chapters um, 11 and 12. Some of you know the backstory to the Psalm 51. The backstory is about the darkest moment in David's life. King David, the great king, it's about the darkest moment and the poorest decisions and the most sinful choices that David made as an adult. That's what it's about. So we're not going to take the time to read 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12, but let me give you a little bit of a synopsis of chapters 11 and 12. In the beginning of chapter 11, it tells us that it was the springtime when kings went out to war and David sent his troops, but he stayed home. I don't know why he stayed home, but he stayed home. And one day when he was walking around his palace, which was one of the tallest buildings in the area, he looked down and he saw a woman bathing. And uh, he made a choice. He called and asked that woman to come to his presence and he committed adultery with somebody else's wife. In fact, the person who he committed adultery, the man who he committed adultery with was a guy named Uriah. And if you read about the mighty men of David, Uriah was one of those mighty men. 
He wasn't just a, a nobody. He was a somebody in the kingdom of David. And his wife's name was Bathsheba, and she was beautiful. And the king, in a weak moment, made a really poor choice, and he, he committed sexual sin. But the story got more complicated, didn't it? Because all of a sudden, Bathsheba explained to him, hey, guess what? I'm pregnant. And so now David begins this incredible scheme trying to get Uriah to come home so Uriah thinks it's his kid. But when Uriah comes home on the request of the king, he won't stay with his wife because he doesn't think it's right to do that because a good soldier, all the other soldiers didn't get to be with their wives, so I'm not going to be with my wife either. Drove David nuts. Tried several times, hinted around, sent special party gifts, everything, and nothing would go right in this. And so then David decided to take care of it in a different way. And he sent to Joab, who was the general of his army. And he set it up so that in the midst of a battle, Uriah would be the one that would die in battle. And so he set up Uriah's murder. That's chapter 11. Chapter 12, all of a sudden this obscure prophet of Israel shows up at David's house and he wants to tell him a little story. I don't know if you've ever had to confront somebody with sin, but whenever I've had to confront somebody with sin, I've always prayed, dear God, I'd really like a Nathan story. You know, I'd like a way that I could speak emotionally into them and help them come to a point of repentance. God, I just don't want to blurt it out. Hey, you sin, stop it. You know, so Nathan, if you remember, tells the story and he wraps it around something that David loves, which is sheep. Remember the story? He basically said there was one person, they had a bunch of sheep and there was this other guy and he had one sheep and it was like the very special sheep and it was a pet sheep and everybody in the family loved the sheep. But the person with all the stuff had somebody come and visit, and so he needed to make lamb chops. But instead of using his own sheep to make the lamb chops, he used his neighbor's sheep. And David, when he heard this story, remember, he became enraged. And he basically said that that person needs to pay. And how horrible it was. And then after a pregnant pause, Nathan looked at him and he said, you are that man. You know, when we think of King David, we think of the good shepherd, and we, we think of David and Goliath. We think of the many battles he fought. We, we think of his drama with Saul. But we forget that the greatest king of Israel was an adulterer, a schemer, and a murderer. And the thing that's interesting about that story is if you read that storyline, within a couple weeks of that, Bathsheba gives birth to their son. And so we know that that story, that that time of sinfulness, isn't the thing that David did it and immediately went to the temple and said, man, I have got to get right with God. No, he lived in it for almost a year. And when you think of the sin that entangles you, and I think of the sin that entangles me, there are some times that it just keeps getting deeper, doesn't it? You know, I don't think David woke up that morning thinking, huh, who could I commit adultery with today? I'm not going to go to war like uh, kings usually do. Uh, I'm going to stay home and commit adultery. No, he didn't think like that. Sin doesn't work that way in our lives, does it? Sometimes it's that flash, that impulse. And one by one, all of a sudden, we find ourselves going down a road that we don't want to go down. On, on my, uh, we, when we were uh, away earlier this year, we went to the Mark Twain home, and one of the quotes from Mark Twain was this. It basically said, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember how you lied. But David just compounded what happened, didn't he? Until the Nathan story came. 
praise God for the Nathan story, right? When God, out of his love for us, decides, I can't let you stay this way. I can't let you live this way. So out of my love for you, I'm going to bring people into your life that are going to help you come back to me. Because I don't want there to be a distance between me and you. Do you understand this about God? Do you understand that the God of heaven loves you so very much that even when you make poor choices, he wants nothing more than to come back to intimacy with you? Isn't that incredible? Even when we compound one sin on top of another sin on top of another sin. I mean, this is, like a, this is almost like a CSI experience, isn't it? This is almost like NCIS would have a story like this. But this isn't television. This is the Word of God, and this is reality. And this is the backstory to Psalm 51. So let's open God's Word. And let's begin by reading, just reading, Psalm 51. There's not going to be slides to go along with this, but let's read Psalm 51 and what David did and what David said. Psalm 51, the note about it says, To the choir master, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in with Bathsheba. So, verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me for my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may justify in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me, jo- let me hear joy and gladness, and let the bones that you have been broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of, my, of your salvation and uphold me with your willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God. O God, my, my salvation and my tongue will sing aloud your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you have not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You have not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice of the Lord are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good design in your great good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then... Will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, in whole burnt offerings? Then bowls will be offered on your altar. Psalm 51. You see, there is something that we need to learn from Psalm 51. Verses 1 through 6 teach us about what our confession to the Lord should be like. You know, I'm concerned that most of us in our Christian experience sometimes get to the point that we do generic confession of sin. Okay, you know, we do just kind of the one-size-fits-all blanket thing instead of getting into the, the details with God. How does that work in your relationships with other people? I'm sorry. Walk away. Is that enough? 
Never, is it? I'm sorry. Forgive me. No. So we see in these first six verses what a confession can look like. First of all, there's a plead for mercy. Have mercy on me, O Lord, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. God, have mercy on me. Mercy means unmerited favor, to receive something that we don't deserve. That's what grace is too, right? And he's saying at this moment, as he is being honest with God, he's not explaining that he's a victim. Hey, you know what? It's hard being king. I've been in a lot of wars, so I decided I needed a little time off. You know, you know, she shouldn't have been doing that. I'm just a victim. No, he's not doing that. He's doing what he's supposed to. He's asking God and pleading him for mercy. God, have mercy on me according to your steadfast love, which is a word that you see over and over again in the book of Psalms. It's hasid. It means God's loyal love. God, because I know what you're like and I know how you keep your covenants, not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. God, would you have mercy on me at this moment? I don't deserve it, but would you have mercy on me? Then there's a pleading for cleansing. Blot out my iniquities. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. He's not asking for a covering. He's not asking for some kind of um, you know, smoke and mirrors. That's what we do today. Something bad happens and there's this whole team of people that gets together on a political level and says, okay, what should we say? Well, we could tell them the truth. No, but what should we say? The idea of blotting out my transgressions would have gone to their whole way of writing back then, which would have been to actually literally write things on clay, cuneiform. And what it's saying here is, what I want you to do is, where my transgressions are, I want you to chip them completely off the record. Blot them out. Make them so they can't be seen. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. He realizes that sin has polluted his life. Sometimes we decide that sin isn't that a big a deal. But we need to have this picture of what sin really does. And how God really views it. In other Psalms, David will talk about this. And he says, "How have I not hated sin the way you hate it? Haven't I been bothered by the iniquity of people the way I think you are bothered? He wants his iniquity gone. And he wants to be cleansed from his sin. You know, right now in, in, the, in the ministry house, there's a couple spots where there's been a little bit of a leak, so there's a brown spot on the ceiling. And all it takes is a little bin primer. And those can all disappear. Except for if you talk to some people, they'll say, oh, I don't know. You have created an incubator and you're going to die now. Right? There's mold growing on the other side of that. You know, and I'm thinking that's good because that will kill the squirrels. But we live in a society that likes to whitewash it, doesn't it? Wants to figure out a way to wallpaper over it. I was at my, my Nancy's grandmother's house once. And uh, it was a condo on Fort Lauderdale Beach. And she says, oh, you can change over in this little, this little half bath I have here. And I'm in this bathroom and it's summer and it's, it's Florida. And I'm changing into dress clothes so we can go out for dinner. And I am just sweating. And I I leave that bathroom and I go, man, I said, the ventilation is horrible in that bathroom. It is so warm. She goes, oh, there was a vent in there. So ugly. So when I had the wallpaper guy come, I just had him wallpaper over that spot. That's what we do, don't we? That's not what David is asking for. David is not asking for sins to be covered. And you need to understand that in the Old Testament system of sacrifice, that's what sacrifice did. It covered sin. David realized he had a big problem. 
And so he wanted his sin washed away. It says this, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Here's the reality. When we confess our sins, we need to be specific. Okay? If you feel like there is the spirit that's making you feel bad, that's accusing you, that is not from God. The spirit of Satan is always vague. The spirit of God is always specific. And God will be specific. That's what he says. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. And so it's not like when, when Nathan showed up, he's like, oh my goodness, I didn't. was that wrong? What I did, was that wrong? Oh my, I'm, I wish somebody would have told me that adultery was a problem. Oh, and, and scheming and murder. Oh, I didn't even, I was just trying to take care of things. No. There is this reality that sin is before us. God will be specific in your life. I love to pray the last two verses of Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And if I take the time to really listen... God will point out to me what I need to work on. Out of love, he does that. But when it comes to confession, we need to understand that God isn't just saying, you're bad. That's Satan. You don't think well. No. God will say, yesterday, the way you treated that person was wrong. We need to straighten that out because you love me. That's how it works. This is interesting because this is what he said, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You know, one of the problems I think that we have with sin too is we think too horizontal about it. We think about all the people that we hurt, but we forget that we hurt God. And it was such a big deal and it was so primary that when he talked to God, he said, you're the one I've sinned against. Remember Joseph when Potiphar's wife was chasing him down? He said, how could I do this horrible thing and not sin against Potiphar? He said, and sin against God? We need to realize that the primary thing that always comes along with confession isn't right relationships with other people. It's right relationships with our God. Confession only works if you believe that God has a right to judge. We live in a society that doesn't think this anymore, do they? God is loving. And because he's a loving God, we can do whatever we want. I tell you what, I am a loving parent, and that did not work in my household. That's why a parent can say sometimes when they're punishing a kid, they say this. This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. And the kid's like, that is not true, and yet it is. Because there is a weeping that goes on inside of a parent. It's a hard thing. But one of the things that we need to realize is that God has a right to judge us. And that his law and his ideas are good. Okay? And as I wrote this last week in our little newsletter that comes out, I wrote that it doesn't change, does it? It's the same. We need to remember that reality. That God has a right to judge. And as we read on, here's the other reality. We need to realize this. I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. If I hear one more time, he's such a good boy, I'm going to probably be a little frustrated. Because the reality is, is every good boy is a sinner. Every good girl is a sinner before God. Only God is good. That's what the Word teaches me. And we need to realize that the sin problem isn't something that we were victim of. It's something we were born into. And it's something we're good at. If sin were not attractive, we wouldn't sin. Okay? Kale is not overly attractive. Okay? In my mind, 
And so I don't think, yay, let's eat kale. Now Nancy sneaks it into something. She has this turkey chili, and there's green stuff in it, and I know what it is. But what makes the chili good is not the kale. What makes the chili good is I don't taste the kale. The reality is, is that we were born in sin. Not only that, but the reality is we were born with heart law. I, I was trying to figure out how to say this, but not only did God, God, do we have sin, and behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Every one of us knows that we are sinning because the law of God is written on our hearts. It's written there. We are rebelling against God when we decide not to follow the law that He's written on our hearts. It's heart law. And we need to remember that. There's very few times in your life that if you really slow it down for a second, you sinned without thinking. If you're sinning without thinking, that means you're sinning a lot. But there is this law that God writes in our heart, and we need to understand that. And so confession means having this honest discussion with God and saying, hey, this is where I'm at, this is who I am, and this is how I rebelled against you. For some of you, if you've never begun a relationship with God, that's where you have to start. You have to start by saying, I am a sinner. I do things wrong. I have primarily rebelled against you. And that's what the cross is all about is God should punish us, but instead of punishing us, He gave us the gift of life and the opportunity to have a relationship with Him. But a part of having that relationship is the willingness to be honest and say, I am a sinner. Instead of saying, I'm I'm a pretty good guy. Have you ever heard that one? I'm a pretty good guy. I haven't killed anyone. Not as bad as Jeffrey Dahmer. That was one of the ones of my growing up. But then you read the Sermon on the Mount and you're like, man, I am in trouble, right? But God has called us to start with a confession. But we move from confession to this, restoration. And I think that, that this is this picture of, of repentance is so very interesting. We turn from sin, that's confession, Right? And then we turn towards God. That's restoration. And this is what he says when he talks about that. He comes back and he starts by a plea for cleansing. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than so. Hyssop was was something that they would put in along with blood sacrifice. It was a part of, of their ritual. And he's saying, I need complete cleaning from you. A part of restoration is a plea that will be cleansed. A part of restoration says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Here's what I find. When I am caught up in my sin, I am more negative and more grumpy than ever. But when I'm right before God, there is a joy that He brings even in the middle of all the junk that we have to go through. People have asked me over and over again, how's COVID for you? I said, I'm tired, but I'm at peace. And you know what? I find moments of joy even in the middle of all this craziness. Why? And so first of all, there's a plea for cleansing. Second of all, there's a plea for joy. Jesus Christ said, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it to the full. Sometimes some people feel the need to do what God does not want to do. They feel the need to punish themselves. Okay? I'll say, can, 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 I, can God use you? Oh no, you, you just don't know how bad I am. And I'm like, do you want to have a competition? I'll try to see if I'm as bad as you are. So there's a plea for joy that's a part of restitution. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. You know what it says in another Psalms? It says that when we confess our sins, He takes them as far as the east is from the west. 
If you're remembering sin that you've confessed, that isn't because that is not from God. He's saying a part of restoration is the fact that I no longer have to live as a victim of my sin. You're going to help me forget my sin. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Here's another part where we get it wrong. I think that sometimes we feel like we need to talk to God and there's something we're supposed to do for Him. Okay? Dear God, I'm really sorry that I did this, but I promise da 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 Right? That's not the goal here. The goal is renewal. God, give me a clean heart. Renew the right spirit within me. Because there is a sense that when I let sin overcome me, I choose darkness over light. God is calling me back into the light. He wants to renew my spirit. It's also a plea for fellowship. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Here's the reality. The reality is, is when we sin as believers, we do break our fellowship with the Lord, but we do not lose our relationship with the Lord. If we lost the relationship of the Lord, then the cross is not effective. Okay? And there are churches that actually teach this. There are churches that say we need to re-crucify Christ every time when we gather because that's the only way the cross is effective. But they don't listen to the words of Christ that He said on the cross. When Christ died on the cross, He said what? It is finished. And so although there might be a break in our fellowship with God, we have not lost our relationship with God. We don't need to get resaved. Because the moment Jesus Christ died for your sin, he died for all of your sin. Because God does not stand in history like us. God stands outside of history. And somehow Jesus Christ died for our sins even though we had never been born. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But he wants to be back in fellowship with the Lord. He wants those moments back. A plea for joy and willingness. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Do you know why we don't sin? Because the Spirit of God makes us willing to stop rebelling against God. Do you know why we have joy? Because God gives us to us as a gift. It's a part of our salvation. You've watched people get saved. And then they'll say, now what am I supposed to do? And you say, nothing. What do you mean, nothing? Aren't there a whole bunch of things that I'm supposed to do? No, the first thing I want you to do is understand what just took place and what it means for you. There's a, a great theologian of a century and a half ago named Schaefer, and he has written a little booklet, and if you have never seen it, you need to ask me for a copy, and it's the 33 things that happen at the moment of salvation. Some of us are trying so hard to be what God has already given us. There's also a response, then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. You know, one of the ways that David did this is David didn't whitewash his history. Many people believe that he actually wrote 2 Samuel and he wrote the stories of it. And he didn't skip his bad moments. He included them in his history. In fact, that's the thing that's so wonderful about the Word of God. That's why you need to be reading it. Is the Word of God does not whitewash people. The characters of the Bible are scoundrels. The people just in the genealogy of Jesus, there's some really bad dudes and some really horrible sinners in that list. And you know what? There are people in this room that are just like that, aren't we? Are we not all pretty bad sinners and pretty horrible people except for we were saved by God? But he says, his response was, I want to teach people. And this is the hard thing. I believe that every one of us has a story to tell. 
our sinner's song to sing. But I think that some of us are afraid to sing that song. I'm not saying that I want you to all stand up one after another on a Sunday morning and tell the story. But I think there are moments when we are in the lives of other people when we need to tell them the truth about how really saved we are. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God. O God, my salvation. You know, I I think it's interesting that a part of restoration, he prays something that you and I should pray. Dear God, would would you reduce the consequences of what I did? Now, that doesn't always take place. The consequences were great for David. David didn't get to build the king, the, the temple because of this. The son of Bathsheba died. He was told that the sword would never leave his house. There'd always be violence there. And if you read the story that goes on from there, you see the consequences of his choices. But I, I still think we need to pray. I love Billy Graham. He says, when we're young, we want to sow our wild oats. And then we want to kneel down and confess and ask God for crop failure. The second response is that we're going to worship. My tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Some of the greatest hymns of the faith are songs of someone receiving grace. Amazing grace. Somebody's story of receiving grace. See, our first response is that we'll tell people. The second response is that we'll worship. And the third response is then all of a sudden we'll have right sacrifices. At first I looked at these verses and and I've seen them before and they're odd. For you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offering. David realized that when he had sin in his life that he had not confessed, that going through the rituals of being a part of the body didn't matter. Because he had a heart problem. You see, when we come together to worship, if you're not right with God you're going to find that a harder time. You might like the tune. You might like the lilt. But you're not enjoying the words. He said instead, this is what he wanted. For the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. You see, if the heart's not right, The worship can't work. And then he goes on, as he's right, and he realizes that he can pray beyond himself. Do good design in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. And then will the bowls be offered on the altar. You see, there's a process that we have to go through. First of all, we have to confess. We have to be brutally honest with God. we got to realize that we are given to rebellion. Okay, Anybody who's raised kids, (coughs) you've heard me say this before. Did you ever teach your kids to do bad things? No. They just were kind of good at it. I, I can't tell you how many parents have come to me and said, I don't know what it is, but my kid lies all the time. Well, they were born in sin. You know, did you teach them to lie? No, they just knew how. You know, how do I teach my son to not be so mean to his sister? He was born in sin. We don't have to teach him to be mean to his sister. Come here, I'm concerned. You're not mean enough. First we have to confess, and then we have to ask for God to restore We can't restore ourselves, okay? We're going to do nothing but paint a little bin primer over the spot. But God can do this amazing work, and he can do a cleansing work, and he can do a changing work, and we can be changed forever.
You know, there's a story that we tell every single month here at this church. And I think part of the reason that we tell this story is that this is one of the Nathan stories for the body of Christ. And that story revolves around these two things. It revolves around bread and a cup, right? That's the story. And every month we have to be reminded about what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us, don't we? We have to be reminded that we've been forgiven by God and that we need relationship with God. We have to be reminded of that. That's the Nathan story that he has given to the body of Christ so that we will monthly make sure that we are right with God. That's what we do. We come together. We partake of communion. We slow things down for a moment. We make sure that you have that opportunity to make sure that your relationship is right with the Lord. I mentioned Keith Green. Keith Green took some of the words of Psalm 51 and he wrote a song. And as we're preparing for communion today, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and they're going to lead us in that song. So you can either stay seated or standing. It's up to you. Don't forget your mask is a part of this experience. But we're going to take some of the verses from Psalm 51 and use them as a song prayer to God this morning as we prepare our hearts for the opportunity of communion.
questions as we get started. We practice what we call open communion here. So if you all have a relationship with the Lord, we encourage you to partake of this time as you desire. <coughs> Here's the instructions, and this is how we do this here. We wait on each other here. Nancy says it's kind of a little bit of an awkward time. But we want you to make sure that you have your moment with God. In Corinthians, it says that you're not supposed to go to this lighthearted, but you're supposed to examine your heart. And so over the next couple moments, I encourage you to do that. And there are some of you in this room that maybe have never asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior. You know what? You could make this your first communion because one of the restrictions of communion is that if you don't have a relationship with the Lord, you should probably not take it. But if you confess your sin today, if you ask the Lord to be your Savior, this could be your first communion with us. Not a fancy little dress, not a big family gathering, but a gathering with God's people as you've made your decision to be a follower of Christ. So some of you, this is an opportunity just to confess and restore in your own relationship with the Lord. For others of you, it might be confession and asking for restoration for the very first time. Here's how we do this. I watch the crowd, and when everybody is looking at me, we don't have to wait anymore because everybody's ready. And then we'll partake of the elements together. But if I don't see you looking up, we'll keep waiting, okay? So take a couple moments right now before the Lord and prepare your hearts to celebrate the sacrifice Christ made for you. No one knew that what Jesus Christ would do would be so utterly important. But only spending three years here, he did the incredible thing of dying on the cross for us so that we could have a relationship with God. You know, part of Psalm 51 says, give me a willing heart, right? The reason that we can have a willing heart is because he had a willing heart, right? He was willing to die so that we could have a right relationship with God. This is a body that was broken for you. Do this in remembrance of him. you needed to hear today. 
Did you hear the need to hear the word blot or purge, clean? Which word did you need to hear today that describes what God has done with your sin? Did you need to hear the word forgotten? That that is somehow tied to the word forgiven? Because that's so hard for us to fathom. Because are we good forgetters? No. But he was the greatest forgiver. And the greatest forgetter. This cup is the new covenant in his blood. It washes away your sin forever. Do this in remembrance of him. Stand with me as we close in prayer. Father God, we are so thankful that your desire for relationship with us is so very strong that you will reach down into our lives even when we make the poorest choices as believers And you will once again say, I want to be close to you and I want to be drawn near to you. And so we are thankful again for the sacrifice and the blood of Jesus Christ that forgives our sin. And we pray, God, that you would make us bold so that we would tell other people of how great your forgiveness was for us. And that we will continue to be fruitful people in your kingdom. Thank you that the song of confession ends with restoration and we claim our restoration and renewal. You are the great God. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. So the DMV isn't open, so you can't do renewal there. But God's church is open and his altar is open and there's always renewal here. God bless you. Have a great day.